Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everybody. Here's a special edition of 30 with Murdy, a unique look at Mariano Rivera and the men lucky enough to have a day where they beat the greatest of all time. Sometime in the last decade or so, I was asked to recount my memories of Mariano's milestone saves for an MLB Network special. I was asked what I remembered about his 300 save, his 400 save, etc. The answer was almost nothing. And if it wasn't for his bases loaded walk for his first career RBI, I probably wouldn't remember anything about his 500 save either. It's then that it occurred to me that what made Mariano so great was that almost all his saves were memorable only for the fact that they happened and kept accumulating. I much more vividly remembered his failures because not only were they so rare, but they were spectacular in nature compared to the workmanlike routine of almost all 652 saves he finished with. So with a nod to a book by David Fisher titled Facing Mariano Rivera, I wanted to know from the players who have done it what it was like to not only face Mariano, but to beat him, to take down the greatest of all time. The man who was so unbeatable, he was unanimously elected to the Hall of Fame and hailed as the best to ever hold his position. But to understand how it felt to beat him, first you need to understand what it was like to get beaten by him. Certainly, all players who spend some time in the majors know the ups and downs of success and failure. But even those who were good enough to spend considerable time in the big leagues had trouble with the great Mariano. Tony Clark played 15 years in the majors. He hit 251 home runs, had a career OPS of 824, hit 30 homers four times, drove in 100 runs twice, and made the AL All-Star team in 2001. Clark, now the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association, went 0 for 10 with three strikeouts against Rivera. Helpless was a good way to describe how Clark felt when he stepped in against Rivera because of the optical illusion that his pitch seemed to create. Despite the fact that you knew what was coming, um, he still threw a bit of an illusion. And, and what I mean by that is, is you know, you'd go up to the plate and your focus was obviously to, to, to set your sights out over the plate rather than, um, rather than in, knowing that his ball was going to cut me being a left-handed hitter. Uh, when I faced Mariano, and yet uh, each time, each at bat, I swore I was attacking a ball that was out over the plate. Um, but by the time it got to me, um, you know, albeit in the, in the mid to upper 90s, but with with late cut life to it, um, I was swinging at a ball that was essentially a few inches above my hands. <laughs> There's, it's not unusual for you when you're swinging at curveballs or sliders you have to swing at a pitch where you think it's going to end up as opposed to where it is when you're deciding to swing why was his pitch so different in that regard um because you your initial read at that velocity was was different when you read breaking ball being able to adjust to where you think it is going is is a little bit easier um 
on how early you recognize the spin and the velocity of the ball in general. When you're, you know, 93 to 98, you read fastball, you know it's going to cut, and yet when you have to make up your mind to attack it, um, it hasn't cut yet. Uh, and that's that's part of the problem. Your Your eyes are telling you where you think it is rather than where it's actually going to be based on what you see. Um, and that's why in part, uh, I, I think actually out of those 10 bats, one of those at bats, uh, I hit right-handed. Um, you know, I had watched Alomar and some of the other guys flip to the other side um, and take a shot at, at, uh, at hitting him right-handed. Uh, knowing that at least at that end or, or from that side, the ball would effectively be moving away and toward the head of the bat rather than my thumbs. Um, and if I recall correctly, the one at bat that I had off of him right-handed uh, was a ground ball to, to third, so it didn't yield a hit. Um, <laughs> if, I rec- if I recall correctly, my bat didn't break, which was a plus. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, uh, again, even from that side, I was swinging at at where I thought the ball was, and then by the time I actually got to it, it was in a different place. I had had approaches where, like I said, I, I tried to move him out over the plate and still ended up uh, with a ball in off my thumbs. I had a, had a, uh, approaches where I looked to, to hit the inside of the ball and just tell myself to to you know to swing to swing inside of where I actually was reading it to be, and all that did was yield ground balls foul. Um, uh, you know, I, I backed off the plate trying to give myself extra space, um, but that was that was more toward the end when he was he was mixing in a, a backdoor cutter, um, which was unfair as well. Um, and so, no, I was I was constantly chasing him and had a, had a had a had a difficult time squaring him up. You knew as a hitter that he was going to throw a cutter, um, that he was going to throw it 99.9% of the time. You knew it, he knew it, everybody in the ballpark knew it, the defenders knew it, uh, the, the, the hitting coach knew it, the, the advance reports knew it, um, and yet <laughs> to, say he, he, to say he was a, a challenge to face and that he was successful in that approach is an understatement. Trying to hit Rivera probably should have been easier since what he threw and where he would throw it wasn't a huge secret. This is Troy Gloss, who hit one of his 320 career home runs and one of his 10 career triples against Rivera in 2001. It was cutter, 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 and it was, you knew it was coming, you knew it was probably going to be a strike, because he filled up the zone with strikes, you knew it was probably going to be a way. And he just decided, you know, it was, uh, you know, I'm going to throw you my best. You do your, you know, you give me your best, and we'll see who wins. And quite often, he won. And every once in a while, you got lucky and you got him. You knew it was going to cut. What you didn't know was how much. And I'm not 100 percent sure he exactly knew how much. And maybe he did, which makes it even more impressive. Because um, you know, he'd throw you some that would cut, you know, three or four inches, and then you'd swing at it and you'd get jammed a little bit. Then he'd then he'd throw you another one that cut eight or nine inches and you'd swing at it and you'd hit on the end a little bit. He, he was very, very hard to get on the barrel. You know, and when I say inconsistent, I, I mean that in a, in a positive way, not, not a negative way. Mm-hmm. You know, none of them, none of them were straight, you know, but, 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 you know, at, at 94 or five miles an hour, when he was throwing it, you're not going to be able to tell 
on its on its trip is it is this going to be the one that cuts three inches or the one that cuts eight you know you you, you can't tell that and you know so you're you're, you're swinging to where you think the, the ball is going to end up and sometimes they don't cut as much or sometimes they cut more he's it's very he was very very hard to hit on the sweet spot you know you can make contact you know he didn't strike a ton of guys out i don't think over his career right um but 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 what he but you never you also didn't see a whole lot of really hard hit balls you can make contact but very rarely did you make really hard contact Gloss, a four-time all-star during his 13-year career was two for 12 against rivera but with only two strikeouts i remember several times hitting kind of weak fly balls to right thinking oh you know i just missed it you know you know like the you know obviously yankee stadium short in right field and mm. you know hitting one 285 you know 265 mm. kind of a routine a little bit off the end pop up to right and i feel like that I, that that repeated itself several times <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like I, I almost got it but i didn't and now i'm out you know <laughs> like, <laughs> And I, don't, and I don't know how many times that happened, but I sure feel like it happened more than several. You know, like I feel like that's because you know I would have a hard time hitting, a, hitting like a ground ball to short off him or something like that. Like you know, my outs are going to be soft fly balls to right that I just missed. The list of players who took offers against Rivera is quite interesting because they had to be good enough to play in the league long enough to rack up a number of at bats against the greatest closer who ever lived. Former Blue Jay Alex Rios went over sixteen. Former White Sox infielder Ray Durham went over 26, and it wasn't like they didn't make contact. Rios and Durham's combined over 42 featured only seven strikeouts. Marty Cordova was the 1995 American League Rookie of the Year. Eleven players received votes in the balloting, but Rivera, also a rookie that year, did not. Over his nine-year career, Cordova faced Rivera 12 times without a hit, striking out six times. The only time I ever got on base was he hit me with like a, I don't know how hard he was throwing a 95, 96 ball or fastball, but right in the middle of my back. And also, in the next, after the next day or two, it looked like I had a bruise the size of a grapefruit on my back and it hit me right up, right in the muscle, <laughs> in the middle of my back. And so that was probably the best at bat I had against him. And then after that, I faced him as a closer and he just, it was the amazing part about Mariano was, he only threw one pitch, and everybody in the whole ballpark knew what it was going to be. It was going to be a cutter. He's either going to throw it inside or outside, but mostly he threw it away to right-handers. And it's, I always thought he was one of the best pitchers ever because the whole art of pitching is getting guys off balance and tricking them and throwing them with off speed, no matter how hard you throw. But he, he could just throw one pitch, and no one could really hit it. It was so hard to hit because it was the way the ball cut was very deceptive. It would, it would come and cut very late, and it looked like you were on the barrel and then you was always off the end of your bat and it would break your bat or you'd just swing and miss it. So it's uh, it's the deception. It wasn't, I mean, he was throwing 93, 92, 94, sometimes around there, but, and it's not overpowering. But when the ball does something that no one else really does, it just makes it that, and just that's how good of a pitcher he was and how deceptive the pitch was. My thinking was I, I tried to just be a very even person when I played. I didn't, I, I did every bat to me, I tried to just say this is the, the, my about this coming up, this is the one that matters. Erase anything else that was in your mind and just try to have a good, solid approach. And I remember in Minnesota one time, I think it was like I had an 0-2 count on me and he threw a cutter outside and I hit it like right on the barrel and it was probably 10 feet foul, 20 feet foul, but it would have been a home run. And I, he kind of looked, looked I, if I recall this correctly, looked at me like, what? How the hell, you know, you don't ever hit my pitch. 
says, what do you think? You're getting, you know, so I was like shocked that I even hit it that hard. <laughs> I was kind of shocked too, so I kind of thought that was my second best at bat off him. Cordova's teammate in Baltimore, Jay Gibbons, got so tired of breaking his bats on Rivera cutters that he ordered special bats just for his yearly handful of ABs against Rivera, knowing the near certainty of having a bat he actually liked would end up in broken shards. Gibbons, who spent seven of his nine big league seasons with Baltimore, was three for 23 in his career against Rivera with seven strikeouts. You know, as a, as a hitter, you know, you don't really, you don't really fear many people. And, uh, you know, Rivera wasn't a guy you would fear, but, you know, after a few years, it just got to the point where uh, frustration would kick in and, um, you know, whatever you did, the result would be the same where you'd walk into the dugout and your thumbs would be killing you. And um, I've tried, I tried a few different things, uh, you know, like I said, with the bats, uh, Brady Anderson actually uh, talked to me about that early in my career, and he said he'd used a shorter bat, so I'd ordered a half dozen bats a year, and I put, um, I think I put MR on them, and they were 31 inches long and a big old barrel, thinking, you know, I was really smart, and uh, same exact result every time. One year, I actually tried to trick Posada, and I would stand in different parts of the box and actually try to move up during the pitch. And um, or move back off the plate really quick, and I mean, there was times Posada's just laughing at me. And uh, <laughs> I remember one time he's like, "Dude, just give it up." <laughs> and it was just, it was just, it was really literally like that. It was like, this is ridiculous. It just didn't make sense, you know, to the human eye. And um, by far the best pitcher I ever faced. You know him. You know Pedro was second, but uh, as far as guys that was just dominant, where for some reason my swing just did not add up to his, you know, cutter, which. I think was the case for most hitters. Um, uh, he was uh, he was just so dominant. It was um, it was deflating when it was the ninth inning. You got to go, you had to face him. I think I butted once in my career, and it was against him. Wow! And um, I remember uh, coming back in. I think I was the tying run, and I was the fourth or fifth hitter, and I butted. And I think it was I think it was Leo Mazzoni was my manager, and uh, or, uh, Lee Mazzilli. Mm-hmm. And he kind of like he was like, "What the heck are you doing?" You know what? That's the first time I ever barrel ball off him. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and it was true. I could not get the barrel to it. So um, I, the three hits were luck. Hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if uh, I don't think I hit any of those hard. And um, it just seemed like he was always reading your mind. If I would start off the plate, it was the backdoor cutter. If I crowd the plate, uh, he'd throw it inside. You know, so and and then I would. Like I said, I I thought about this a lot. Uh, I would start back off the plate and then scoot up as he's winding up, and it would still be the opposite. You know, um, I just I, I, I was really it was one of those things. Was like I'm going to get him eventually, you know, and it just never happened. And I, I faced him. I feel like quite a bit, you know, over the years. Twenty three at bats is quite a bit against a closer. And while American League hitters could see Rivera multiple times a year and perhaps get some feel for trying to hit him, it was much harder for National Leaguers, who got their rare glimpses at him. Philadelphia's Ryan Howard was 0-4 against Rivera, and that doesn't count the spring training at bat in which Howard practically screwed himself into the ground when Mariano struck him out with, of all things, a changeup. David Wright of the Mets had small sample size success in his once-a-year attempts against Rivera, going 3-for-8 with a double and three RBIs, including a walk-off hit at Shea Stadium in 2006. Still, 
Wright never felt the odds were in his favor. It's like, you know, almost like, you know, what I would imagine winning the lottery because the chances are about the same. Um, you know, it's just you know that um, he's not, you know, he's not going to make mistakes. So it's funny because we I was talking to somebody about his heat maps, you know, from a pitcher, you know, they, they show where he throws most of his pitches mm. and he leaves nothing over the middle of the plate. It's either, you know, the front to a righty, at least the front door cutter or, you know, the cutter that starts kind of middle and just keeps running away from you. So he doesn't make many mistakes. So you know that you know, you're probably not going to get to him unless he almost allows it and makes a mistake. Um, you know, so you know going up there, <laughs> which is amazing, you know what you're going to get and you still can't hit it. Um, and that's what I can remember, you know, vividly about the, the walk-off that I had against Mo was – he gave me a pitch that I thought I could handle and I fouled it off and I remember stepping out of the box and I'm like, man, I had my chance, you know, and I, I let it go. Um, you know, so it's just, it's one of those things where uh, you almost have to get lucky. And even the time that he didn't get an out against us at City, you know, he jammed me, you know, kind of a CNI single due to the walk-off. He, he might have broke his bat in the two. You know, so it's, you almost have to get a little lucky to, to get to Mo. It's not, you're not going to hit him hard. You know, you just have to try to find some you know, so open, some open space for some bleeders and some 20 hoppers through the infield. You know, to say that he's elite or, you know, superstar status probably doesn't do it justice because he's in a different, on a different level, you know, than really anybody else with the success that he's had. And like I said, just as important for me was the way, um, you know, I loved his demeanor. You know, you, you could never, there's some guys that you feel like you can, you can rattle them and you could never rattle Mo, um, and that was one of the things I really respected about him was the way he went about his business and just you know cool, calm, collect. And you know he could have very easily you know shown a lot of guys up because he was obviously that good. But um, you know he never did, and he always did it with class. Sandy Alomar Jr.'s eighth inning home run in Game Four of the 1997 ALDS was the first blown save of Rivera's postseason career. The Indians went on to win the game, tying the best of five at two games apiece. Cleveland also won Game 5 to win the series, and members of the 1997 team are still in disbelief about losing that series one year after winning it all in 1996. Alomar, who played 20 years in the majors, over half of them with Cleveland, had very good success against Rivera in his career, going 6-for-13 with a double, that devastating home run, and only one strikeout. Alomar had a precise plan when facing Rivera, and his postseason home run might also have been aided by the fact that he caught Rivera in the All-Star game earlier that same summer. I believe Mariano's pitching shape was ahead of his, uh, his time. That's why he was so successful. He, his, his bulk, you know, you, you know how they talk about point, in, point, point A to point B now, uh, how multiple drops and how multiple dives. Mm-hmm. His cutter, his cutter, the ball rarely dove down too much. You know, he stays kind of like the same plane. So most of the hitters were, by the time they start swinging, if you're a right-handed hitter, if you try to hit the bottom of the ball game, you, you, you're not going to have no chance. If you're a left-handed hitter, uh, if, the, if you let the ball get too deep, it's, it's going to jam you. So his ball kind of, his ball kind of, you know, a run up, you know how they say his highest run object tend to go down mm-hmm. a point of release? His ball tend to stay on the same level but keep moving inward to lefties and away from righties. So, it, you know, his arm angle, his, his pitch shape, it was so hard to hit because 
everybody's trying to hit the bottom of the baseball. And <laughs> I, uh, I remember talking to uh, Rock Carew one time in, uh, in spring training when he was working with us in the early 90s. He always tell me, when you face a closer, when you face closer, because he was a special assistant for us in the minor leagues, yeah. but he used to come to beat league camp. He goes, when you face a closer, guys that throw plus fastball, don't try to hit the bottom of the ball. Just try to hit the, the top of the ball because uh, uh, the, the mass of the bat is going to take you underneath the ball naturally. So the weight of the bat, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the barrel. When you start swinging, it's going to go underneath the ball. Uh, so my focus was, Mariano, all the time was, if you pitch your way to right, it's away, away, watching videos and stuff like that. I'm just going to look area away and I'm going to hit the top of the ball. And and by the time I was making contact, I was connected. I was normally was taking good swings of him, but you know he he other, other hitters have problem because they try to hit the bottom of the ball. I believe that's my belief. I was uh, I, I always feel like he was ahead of his time, and I think he'll be successful right now if he still play because uh, he's fish shape. You uh, I mentioned you were six for thirteen against him in your career, so you saw the ball pretty well and were able to. You know what you're talking about your plan. It seemed like you executed that pretty well. That's hard to do against a good pitcher like Mariano. What what was your key to maintaining that contact that you're talking about? I, I was just focusing on using my top hand to control the bat instead of using my lower my my bottom hand because I feel like I have more back control in my top hand. So if his ball's not going to die that much, I feel like uh, I should just my point of contact was hit the top of the ball on him and. It, by doing that, automatically my hand, a point of contact is going to go to the middle or to just slightly below. But if I, if in my mind I I, I, I think, okay, I'm going to look middle way to Mariano and I'm going to hit the bottom of the ball, and the ball's going to beat me to the spot. So my barrel was going to go underneath the ball all the time if I did that. I wish I could do that with everybody. <laughs> I, we, 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 we sinker ball because he, he normally threw one pitch. That's my That was my focus. When guys have multiple pitches, it's a little bit difficult, but it, it is remarkable that a guy with mostly through one pitch was so successful like that because the his ball kind of carried through the zone below people's barrel and and when they hit it they hit it you know in the knuckles if you're a lefty. Do you remember feeling confident against him because of this approach and because of the success you had, or do you still when you think back about facing him do you do you think of it as a as a hard guy to hit? It's a hard guy to hit. I just, uh, it seems to me like I, I, I took my focus to a different level. I, I felt like I didn't have to think uh, about many other pitches. I just, I just got to think about my execution against him. And I focus in, in a particular area, like I say. But even though he was hard, he, he was a hard guy to hit, man, because he, he located the, the ball, whatever he wanted, you know. And, and if I didn't have the, the proper plan, and, you know, I, I wasn't going to be able to execute it. I, was, I, I had to just focus on swinging the strikes and look look to the, the point of impact, hit the ball where I wanted, not where he wanted. What do you remember about the home run and the at-bat and and how that came about in the playoffs? I remember I, I went to the plate and I said, well, I'm going to give him I'm gonna give the play. I'm going to, you know, I know that he's going to pitch me away, but I want to give him room so he can throw the ball out there. Sometimes when you give a guy that, throw sliders or cutters room when they see all that space they try to locate low and away but sometimes they they, they the release point changes and the balls kind of stay up so 
my my thing, my theory was if I get hit, I hit an account, I just gonna look up in the zone because his ball kept carrying, you know. So I, I look I look up in the zone and I'm gonna throw my top hand to the top part of the ball and I mean it just happened. It was, it was like wow, you know. I, I had a plan and I executed it and he threw the ball exactly where I was looking at. That year I caught him in the All Star game to close the game, ninety seven All Star game, and I was so eager to catch it because uh uh, all the success he had, I want to see, man, I want to see what exactly from behind a player, what this guy is so tough to hit. And that's when I, I, I realized, I go, wow, you know, his ball, you know, from point A, from release point to play, doesn't dive that much. So, uh, it, 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 you can see guys' barrels going on the knees or, or they try to hit the top of the ball and they top it too much. He, he was, his location, he threw strikes, man. Closers now, these days, I always have problems because they, they follow, they, they're behind an account. He's always ahead of the count. Uh, nobody want to hit with two strikes with him. And he, he made quick outs for that reason. So uh, it, it is remarkable to say that a guy that, that pitched that long one pitch uh, had that kind of success, but he was, he was, he was a, he was a phenomenal pitcher, man, a phenomenal closer. Do you believe that catching him in the All-Star game gave you a certain advantage or at least something different that other hitters don't have uh, when you came to bat against him that year, same year in the playoffs? Well, I don't know if he did, but he, I had a better perspective of what the pitch is done. You know, you know, what the pitch was his action, you know, how much the ball's going to die, how much you're going to stay through. So when you catch, when you have, when you when you're familiar with a guy, you know he's having his pitch action, and uh, from behind the play. So you try to apply that when you hit. When 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 you catch a ball, when, when you catch a guy that throws a lot of sinker balls, you your setup should, should be try to hit the bottom of the ball because by the time the ball arrives, you got to see how many inches that ball is dropping when it arrives to home plate. So if you if you try to hit the middle of the ball, point of point of contact is very important. Uh, in every different pitcher, you just don't go out there and, and, and swing. You, you gotta start the pitcher and figure it out. Okay, if this guy ball is diving this much. Why am I gonna try to hit the middle of it? If I hit the middle of it, I might pop it. So, you know, every pitcher have you gotta have a different point of contact because every pitcher have a different pitching shit. The last thing I want to ask you, Sandy, is obviously you knew that home run was big in the moment, and it meant a lot for your team and the season. But in the 20-plus years since then, because it was against Mariano Rivera and you knew what he went on to become, has that home run become more meaningful for you, for your teammates, for your family, and everybody else? Well, yeah, it did. Everybody brings that up. Uh, we're speaking about it right now, so many <laughs> years later. Uh, I think mostly because who he was, uh, he was the best reliever in baseball for so many years, and the situation that we were facing him, you know, every playoff we got to go through the Yankees. So uh, that particular home run gave us a chance to stay to stay afloat in that game and not winning it, and then end up going to the to the next series and beat Baltimore and then going to the World Series. So to me, it's more about the team. To me, it's more about give us an opportunity to to go to the next step getting closer to a World Series. And when you uh, when you perform in a postseason, it's a bigger, it's a bigger, you know, it's a bigger outcome than if you do in the regular season. The Alomar game is one of Rivera's four blown postseason saves. 
Two of them came against Boston in the famous collapse from a three-games-to-none lead in the 2004 ALCS. The biggest one, however, was Game 7 of the 2001 World Series. Luis Gonzalez hit the blueprint round the world, lifting Arizona to the World Championship and keeping the Yankees from winning their fourth straight trophy. Gonzalez, a five-time All-Star in 19 big league seasons, was 0-2 against Rivera as a Detroit Tiger in 1998. And in three previous at-bats in that 2001 World Series, Gonzalez struck out twice and grounded out to first. But when he came to bat in the bottom of the ninth in Game 7, it was his second time facing Rivera in that game. He struck out in the eighth inning. Gonzalez then delivered the broken bat single that won it for Arizona. I didn't have too much success against him. So I think I only had maybe four or five at-bats in my career total because primarily being in the National League, I was in the American League for one year, which was with the, with the uh, Detroit Tigers. But, um, yeah, he was not fun to hit off of, even though he was a right-handed hitter. Um, that, that cutter was like a Pac-Man. You know, every time you the, – the more you'd look for it, it seemed like the deeper it got in on your hands being, uh, you know, hitting left-handed. You know, everybody knew what was coming. It was just a simple fact that he was very effective with it, what he can do with it. So what's the goal as a left-handed hitter here? I've heard people tell me you can't keep the ball fair. You can't keep from breaking your bat. What are you, simply, what are you trying to do? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. There was a lot of guys that when they faced him, especially the left-handed hitters, they never took their, uh, their, their, game bat that they use all the time you know they would take their backup bat or whatever (laughs) would be up to the plate so uh that alone in itself knows that he had the mental advantage on a lot of guys facing him you know if you got a favorite bat that you've been using for a while and then you're facing him uh you're like you know what i better not run this one up just in case he throws that hard cutter and it gets in on my hands and it's gonna end up you know and the bat's going to end up blowing up in your hands. You won't have that favorite bat of yours for a while. You'd only faced him, I think, twice in that 98 season with Detroit, and then you get to the 01 World Series. You faced him four times in that series, so right. we all know what the one hit was, but did right. seeing him that many times in such a short period of time help you in any manner? No, I don't think so. I mean, I just, you know, sometimes you, you you know, you, you come out with, I'd rather be lucky than good sometimes, and I was just fortunate. You know, he throws the cutter. The You know, the decision was made to bring the infield in. If he if he jams me and I hit a weak ground ball, the run scores because I beat the double play out. And I think Joe Torrey and everybody, I mean, to, you could people can talk about whether they should have the infield back or in. Um, I would have played it the same way they did because of the fact that he did jam me. The only difference was I was able to get it up in the air. You know, if I hit the ground ball, they get to play at first and could possibly double me up. It was just the percentages that they were playing, and they played the right percentage. The call was the right call. Um, uh, just fortunately for me, I got it up in the air and was able to get it over the uh, Jeter's head and left, you know, to short left. I've talked to some guys who've hit walk-off home runs against Mariano, and I mean, it's to them, it's the, it's the greatest moment simply because of who it came against. Now, obviously, yours is different because it was. The it was a winner in the World Series, but does part of it still apply because of who it was against? Oh, there's no doubt. He's the greatest reliever of all time, and you know, to not only to get the game-winning hit of Game Seven of the World Series, but to do it against the the best all-time reliever, not only in regular season but postseason. 
Uh, and it doesn't take anything away from the accomplishment that guy had. I mean, he's incredible. I mean, he was lights out for so many times. And uh, just the one time I was fortunate enough to get the hit was the time that it was in Game 7 of a World Series. If it would have been in Game 3 or 4, nobody talks about it. It just so happened to be in Game 7. Other guys I've talked to about him say that just the way he handled himself kind of helped in the way hitters looked at him too because, I mean, I'm sure you face guys who, you know, who were very demonstrative and, you know, maybe uh, did things after they got you out that you didn't appreciate. Yeah, no, this guy was a – I mean, he, he's a mild-mannered, true professional that was just a monster with ice in his veins when he was on the mound. He spoke with his pitch. He didn't have to do it you know, antics or anything like that. He was he was a, a, a man of huge stature on the field because of the way he played the game, the way he respected the game. Um, and in fact, after the World Series, I, I live in Tampa, or I grew up in Tampa, and uh, I saw him during spring training uh, the following year, or I think it was the following year, a couple years later at a mall. We were kind of walking around because there's, you know, the Yankee spring train there. Mm-hmm. And we saw each other and, you know, the utmost respect, like nothing, you know, no big deal. And, and you know, he's always been class act, man. Walking off Mariano didn't happen often, but it did happen. And many times it happened just like it did with Luis Gonzalez, with a dying quail offered up as a gift to the Babip gods. But then there were the rare failings that happened to every closer, and they always hurt. The walk-off home run. Rivera gave up 71 home runs all time, but eight of those came in the 10 starts he made in 1995. So in his other 1,105 appearances that covered 1,233 innings, Rivera gave up 63 home runs, or one every 19.6 innings pitched. And among all those, only five players ever hit walk-off home runs against Rivera. Remember, Alomar's was a game-tying shot. Bill Miller did it at Fenway Park, in the memorable 2004 game that featured the A-Rod Jason Veritek brawl in July of that year. Marco Scudero did it in Oakland in 2007, Ichiro Suzuki in Seattle in 2009. Vernon Wells had a terrific Major League career. 15 years, three-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove winner. He played with and against some of the game's best. At the top of his list of personal achievements is the walk-off home run he hit against Mariano in 2006 in Toronto. Wells was 6-for-19 in his career with solid contact, a double, a triple, and the home run. The moment of the home run is one Wells can recall instantly. Barreling up is one thing. Having the trajectory to have a chance to get out of the ballpark is another. But as the ball is in the air, because it was up there for a while, the the thoughts that are going through your mind is, I may have just hit a walk-off home run against the best closer ever. My history with the Yankees... Or facing the Yankees, it went back to AAA. Um, just knowing there's a difference in who the Yankees were, who what that uniform stood for. Um, nothing needed to be said. Nothing needed to be. Uh, I mean, it was it was just the mystique of who the Yankees were, and you could you could sense that from AAA. Uh, so anytime I got a chance to play the Yankees, it was it was a different feeling. Um, and it's a, it's a credit to just what that organization is. But getting a chance to go to old Yankee Stadium and, and the history of that, there's just so much wrapped up in 
what that organization is and and Mo is a big part of that and, and what they were able to accomplish. So in that moment as as the ball is in the air, all of those things are going dear mind and it goes out and then uh, it's just I mean, that that is really the thought. It's not a matter of uh, it's 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 completely different than any other walk off homer because it is moment because of the greatness of who he is. His cutter it wasn't the same all the time. It was, if you threw it inside, sometimes it didn't cut as much. If you threw it outside, it cut a foot. Uh, and that was the challenge of, and then you couple that with the high one that it almost seemed to rise as it got to the zone and cut. There's just so many things that you had to, you had to put into play that it's not like you have a lot of time to make that decision either. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, I mean, you're talking about tenths of a second to make a decision on where this ball is going to, the location of where this ball is going to be, where he's trying to throw it to, and then how much is this thing going to break? And that was part of the forcing yourself to swing at the cutter that's inside because it's, that is, that is his pitch. It's going to be cutting back over the plate and you have to be prepared to, to swing at it. And so many guys, it was so funny just over the years and, guys that hit in front of me, guys that hit behind me, Orlando Hudson, <laughs> he would face him left-handed, obviously. He was a switch hitter. Yeah. And I said, oh, you cannot swing at the one inside. You just have to, you, you can't do it. You have to stop doing it. He's like, okay, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm not going to swing at it inside this time. Sure enough, bat just breaking all over the place. And I said, oh, you cannot swing at that one. He's like, I know, but I can't help myself. <laughs> it's, it's just not normal. And that was what he was, it was just, it was so hard for guys to be able to adjust to that um, because he could, he could go in and out. And soon as you typically with most guys, as soon as you take away one side of the plate and think, okay, I got him now, uh, he would show you something else and then get you back to off of your game. And that was, that was why he was so successful. You were six for 19 against him, including that home run. You also had a double and a triple. So I mean, it seemed like you had a pretty good, you like you could see the ball pretty well against him with the, and even square it up maybe better than most people could. My level of excitement typically playing the Yankees was higher than anyone else. Um, so I was already, I was I always loved the challenge of playing the Yankees because the Yankees are the Yankees. You, you're going to face the best of the best. You're going to play against the best of the best and. When Mo came in the game, it was just another excitement level of that, especially being in Yankee Stadium and the music's playing and the crowd knows what's what's most likely going to happen and he's going to close the game out. It was it was always that thought of let's let's not let that happen in my head. Um, so that challenge was that's that's what that's what's fun about sports is getting to face the all time greats and and hopefully having success. And when you relish that opportunity, that was that was kind of my thing and I think once I figured out that yeah I need to what I need to eliminate what I need to do to try to be successful against him and 6 for 19 it's good in in our world but still (laughs) you're still failing a lot (laughs) (laughs) yes when you think about Mariano Rivera trying to close out a game and you beat him with a home run where does that register for you in you know, you had a really good career. What, where does that register with you? I always say people tell me, people ask the question of uh, what are your greatest memories of, of baseball? 
or uh, during your time plane. Um, that is the only that is the only personal one that I have. Everything else is uh, Carlos Delgado hitting a, hitting four home runs in a game. Um, John McDonald uh, coming back after his father passed away on Father's Day and hitting a home run. Personally, for me, that was that's the only day that really sticks out to me. So that's <laughs> playing all those years and, and accomplishing some things that, as a kid, never even knew was possible. Uh, hitting a walk-off home run against Moe's is probably ranks up there as number one. And if that is true for Vernon Wells, it is absolutely true for the final member of Mariano's walk-off home run register, a little-known utility player named Bill Selby. In 2002, Selby, who spent 14 years in professional baseball, played in the most memorable of his 198 Major League games, which were spread over five seasons with the Red Sox, Reds, and Indians. The Yankees were in Cleveland a Sunday afternoon in mid-July, taking a 7-4 lead to the ninth inning. In comes Mariano. Game over? Yes, but not the way anyone thought. Rivera gave up hits to four of the first five batters, with a double by Ellis Burks, cutting it to a one-run game, 7-6. Jim Tomey would finish his Hall of Fame career just 3-for-22 against Mariano. But with runners at second and third and only one out, Tomey was walked intentionally to load the bases. Travis Fryman struck out for the second out of the inning. Rivera was now 26 pitches into the inning, and up came Bill Selby, who uncorked a walk-off grand slam. It was the first walk-off home run Rivera had ever allowed, and it was the moment that Selby, now an assistant baseball coach at Northwest Mississippi Community College, has relived and retold plenty of times over the years. He went over it all with me again back in January, shortly before Rivera was elected to the Hall of Fame. There's very few superstars in baseball. You know, we, we have heroes, and, and anybody that's ever played a superstar to somebody, whether it's their kids or their family or whatever. But so in, in cases like players like me who who don't have Hall of Fame moments or Hall of Fame careers, you don't get tired of talking about it. I mean, let's be, let's be honest, it was a great moment in time, but... Mm. You know, so, yes, I have been asked the question a lot, and, and there's a whole story that leads up to the time it happened. So, yeah, I just got called back up. So, and, you know, the funny thing that nobody ever talks about, or they remember the one pitch of one game. When the question's asked to me, I can remember the whole game, you know, because I remember I pinch hit against him the night before. And uh, and grounded out. I remember talking to Eddie Murray, our hitting coach at the time, about facing him the next day. And you know, the next game, I the next day, I think Musina started the game. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was in the lineup, and that was horrific off Musina. I mean, it was <laughs> it was one of them days. It's like you know, and 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 a guy like me who rides a roller coaster up and down and spends the better part of you know, nine or 10 years in AAA alone, you know, there is added pressure to, to belong and stay and things like that. But I can remember going through the game and being, I, I want to say I was 0 for 3 at one point and Mike Stanton came in out of the bullpen in the eighth inning. Uh, you know, you can you can sit there and play lefty-lefty matchup, righty-lefty or whatever. But in, in my case, you know, when you're a bench guy and, you know, if you can salvage a day, then you, you, then you then the next five games you sit there until you get another opportunity is <laughs> wonderful, you know. <laughs> And I can remember getting a base hit off Stanton to right field on an 0-2 pitch. And I can remember being at first base and going, whew, you know, I salvaged today. <laughs> and and as the inning 
started in the bottom of the ninth. And, and, and again, I'll break off and, and, and say this. One thing about Mariano, and, and again, I, I only faced him two or three times in my career, and I think one of the two times in spring training or something, but one of the things that you associate with him is there are two words you thought about when you saw him running out of the bullpen. And, and it's, it's the easiest way to describe what he meant to his job and, and his role with his team. And it was game over. When he was coming in, it was, oh, man. You know, it's, it's here we go again, game over. And, and so when you roll around and we're having an inning like we're having, you're like, this is not really happening to him, you know. And everything fell right from, you know, a pop-up falling and, and, you know, a couple things here and there and a couple big hits. And yeah. I can remember sitting on the bench next to uh, Lee Stevens, you know, and we were sitting there, and he looked at me, and he goes, buddy, we're going to hit again. <laughs> like, you're kidding me. And I'm thinking in my mind, you, you know, you're in the moment stuff, but, then, you know, there, I think for a millisecond that thought went through my mind. I was like, but I just salvaged today with Stanton, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it, it hits you at that point. It's like, okay, this is really happening. I go down in, in, the, in the tunnel down there at the bottom where you can hit to a screen where the video guy was and, I remember taking some swings and just saying to prayers like, Lord, if it comes around to me, you know, in this situation, you know, you know what I've been through, just, you know, whatever you got for me, I'm good with. And it came to me and, you know, the biggest moment of that hole at bat, and again, I can, I don't relive it as easy as I did back then, but the biggest moment of that bat for me emotionally was not the moment because, you know, we're in the moment. It's, this is what you, you know, it's bases loaded, it's two outs, and you know, this is the stuff you threw a ball up against a wall when you're seven years old going, yeah, you're going to win the game or you're not going to win the game. And I'm in the middle of that. You're in the, involved in a high-pressure moment. It was the foul ball that I hit the pitch before. You know, it's so easy to hit a ball and you're just so close and, and on your trek back to the plate going – that was my shot. You know, I, I, I'm a foot away. I, I was a foot away from doing it. And I remember having to gather my thoughts. It seemed like 10 minutes. And I just had to, I just walk back and just regroup and say, look, if he comes inside again, you got, you got to that pitch, you can get to another one. And though, that was the biggest emotional moment I felt was just trying to calm down after I hit a foul ball. And, uh, of course, when the moment happens and, you know, you don't think at the time, what is it, it's been 16 years? Yeah. You know, and 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 if you would have said at that time, and, and I know you were covering New York then, if you would have said, I'm going to interview Bill Selby in 16 years about this very moment, <laughs> that thought would have never crossed your mind, nor did it did mine. Yeah. But uh, it's that one moment in time that all baseball players that ever played hope for. You know, whether my career took off, which it didn't or not, I played, you know, as a utility or a journeyman does a few more years. And it's a great career for someone like me. And you took come home and my, you know, my family and friends and everything where I'm from in small town, Mississippi are proud. And, but it was a moment that, that I got to experience that and my family and whoever else that has been a part of who I was as a player. And as much as, because of who he was, you know, mm-hmm. not so much of what my career entailed, but so much of what, of, of, of who he was. So 
I, I absolutely don't mind re, reliving it, and and I don't do it to pat myself on the back. It, it's again, it's it's just one of those things that happens in in a in, in in a game, and it's a wonderful moment. And like I said, you don't realize the magnitude of it two years later, and you're like, wow, that's never happened. I can tell you this: for years, while he was still pitching, it's just somebody hit a home run off Mariano. That's mm-hmm. that's how dominant he was. You know, I mean, people are. I mean, he's he, he has a highlight on Sports Center when somebody actually does hit a home run off of him. And uh, I would get text at two or three in the morning. Hey, I saw you on ESPN last night. I'm I'm here working at the junior college. I've been here for since I've retired as a coach. And I get texts and from friends. Hey, I saw you on ESPN tonight. That's you know, and I it got to the point where it was like, oh, somebody must have took him deep or something. I don't know. You know <laughs> my name was forever associated with the, you know the greatest of all time. I want to ask you something about the bat specifically. Uh, I've okay. read about the foul ball. I don't recall it top of my head. As you said, it's been a long time. Right. But as a left-handed batter, trying to keep a ball fair like that off of Mariano is incredibly hard to do. Is that why you thought it was your shot? I mean, forget about the caliber of hitter you are and the hit, the pitcher he is, but just the idea right. that it's difficult to keep a pitch from him fair as a left-handed batter. Is that part of what you're thinking is? It is. Uh, well, here's the thing. I guess the best way to explain why emotions happen, and it's like college football is, you know, you game plan for this team or this quarterback. We're going to scheme this guy. You know, we're going to scheme this defense, give him some confusing looks, so maybe confuse him and confound him. Or or even in college athletics, well, you know, if we're facing their best on the weekend and we're going to run his pitch count up, and there's so much strategy involved in competition and trying to get an upper hand. With Mariano, it was simply this. I throw a 94 to 96-mile-an-hour cutter. If you're left-handed, I'm going to throw it up and in. If you're right-handed, I'm going to throw it in on your hip, and I'm going to throw it up and away so you swing and miss. And it was no, i got a scheme for this hitter. I have to I have to attack his weakness. It was literally, he's going to tell you what he's going to throw, or you already knew what was coming, and you couldn't do anything about it. And so when you understand him and that, uh, that which that is, is almost non-existent in the game itself, how he could just say, look, I'm going to throw one pitch, basically. So in that moment, you know, and I talked to Murray, Eddie Murray about it the night before, because I think I grounded out to first. It's this, you know, same type deal. Gets ahead. You know, here comes a cutter up and in, and, you, you know, you got to get the bat hit out or it's, you're going to, you know, you're, get, you're getting a new piece of lumber for the next at bat. And, and that's basically what happened. I hit a ball decent, but I broke my bat and hit a ball first base. And I remember talking to Eddie about it afterwards because that's what I did. I mean, you know, I, I pitch hit a lot, and that was I was fine with that. It didn't matter. But, you know, I was just talking about it. I was like, you know, I get inside the ball pretty good and, you know, got a little short swing. And I was like, he said, well, you know, Bill, you ought to try if you face him again. Just choke up a little bit. I, 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 you know, I had no ego or pride, and it was no macho thing to me to not choke up. So <laughs> I remember that at bat that I, I probably choked up another inch and a half on the bat. And, again, like you say, to keep a ball fair off him, you know, it's funny because I've been coaching junior college baseball since my 14th year, and I've done it ever since I retired after the 2005 season. And I have kids ask me this every single year, even kids that really never really saw him pitch, was what was his cutter like? And the best way to describe it is almost like a 
a roller coaster coming at you. You know, it just had a – it rose and it cut into you. It's hard to explain. There's nobody else that had it. There were other guys I faced that had cutters. And so you know it's coming. And so, like you said, to keep it fair, my whole approach there was something we talked about was he's coming in. And if he could have thrown a ball, a cutter away for a strike, I'd have never had a shot. Hmm. Uh, you know, because I had to sell out to his strengths. And, you know, I, I want to say a day later in the – I don't know what – it might have been the New York Times, as a matter of fact. There was an article where he said, look – tip my hat i threw the pitch i wanted to throw in the location i I wanted and he beat me and it was just that thing it doesn't happen very often and you know my goal was look i'm gonna choke up i'm gonna find a way to get a barrel to it and that pitch was a little bit harder to hit than the the pitch i actually hit foul you know again you, you can't really explain how hard it is until you understand that this guy's going up against the best hitters in the world with one pitch and you basically know when it's coming where it's coming and what location it's coming, and nobody can do anything about it. What were the differences between the pitch you hit foul and the one you hit for the home run? The ball I hit foul was down. It was a 2-2 pitch, and it was down. It was about knee high. So, you know, again, when I describe to just people that I'm friends with or or young hitters that ask me, well, who's the toughest pitchers you faced? What was the best pitch you faced? Or who had the nastiest slide or whatever? When his cutter was down, it cut, but it doesn't, didn't have the rise effect, you know? And when he threw a, the cutter in, it almost looked like it was, it started, you know, belt high coming in. And then it, you know, I don't know if it defied physics, but, you know, the, the visual you get from seeing it is that it's almost coming up towards your neck. And this, the pitch I had fouled was down, and it was actually a pretty good pitch to, to handle. And, uh, I mean, I hit it. It was funny because Spencer, uh, Shane Spencer, Spencer was playing right field. And, you know, in the, you know he's pointed foul. This is probably foul, six inches a foot. Well, he was with us in spring training the next year, and we talked about it and stuff. And he said, I thought you had no shot after that. <laughs> and and the, the next pitch was up. And I just clipped it just enough. And the wind wasn't blowing out that day, so I was like, man, I don't know if that's going anywhere. And it went out pretty good. But, you know, he and those were the days he was 95, 96. And, again, to get two barrels on and one at bat off of him was, yeah, it was an accomplishment, I think, in itself. So I'm looking at the list of your home runs. You had 11 home runs off of 10 pitchers. There's only one guy in that list who's going to the Hall of Fame. Well, I'll tell you this. And, and – Yes, I can say he's a Hall of Famer. But when you saw him perform, and and as a baseball player slash fan, when I played, I never lost the 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 love of watching people perform at a high level. You were looking at a Hall of Famer. It, there wasn't a secret of like, you know, uh, man. I think one day he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. You, it, 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 you didn't have to be a, a you know a, a writer in New York to know that when you watched him pitch year in and year out, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. It was not It was not hard. So when you look back now, you call it humility, you can say, you can put any kind of descriptive adjective you want on it. I'm just thankful for that moment in time, you know, and because we're not defined by any means as a player by moments in time, but that was just a small part of, of even his career that I got to enjoy, you know? 
he pro- I, to, to be honest with you, I don't even know if he can remember me. You know, <laughs> and, 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 and you know it, it's funny, but and, it, it, but in actuality, he's he's experienced so much in the game and, and and meant so much to that organization and and to his teammates that he's been around and to the community and to the to the Yankee fans and and, and he, it, it's a blip on his radar that he if he brought it up, oh yeah, I might can remember that day, but. For me, I'm thankful just to be a part of of his career. You know, I, just because it's it is special, and yeah, I can walk around with my chest out and say I did that, I did that. But you know, it it was a great moment in my career because I didn't have a ton of great moments in the major leagues. I had a great career as far as getting to play for so long, and very thankful for every pitch I got to see. But uh, to be part of his is is special because. Again, I, it's easy for me to say this because I hit a home run off of it, but he's the greatest of all time. I didn't face every closer there was. I faced a lot of closers when I played in the years I played. Like I said, he, he did it with one pitch, and he did it with style and, and grace and a persona that whether you're hitting against him or not, you're in awe, and you knew it was game over. When he's trotting out, if you're in Yankee Stadium, he's trotting out and Metallica's playing – Man, you're talking about what's on the spread. You know, it's it's a if he's coming in and you're up, they're up by three or four runs, and at your place, and he doesn't have his music, it doesn't matter. You're like, ah, oh, here he comes, here he comes. And, you know, so so for little me to have the little moments I have, yeah, it's it's to say to be a part of what just that, like I said, that little blip that he might not even remember to be perfectly honest, and that's perfectly okay with that. I'm okay with that. Uh, it's awesome. But if you ask me, did I think it would be more special because he's going to the Hall of Fame, I'd have told you I already knew he's going. Beating Mariano was never easy, but it happened. And when it did, the ones that beat him never saw it as anything more than a good bit of luck on their side. The possible exception could be a guy who will stand next to Rivera on the stage in Cooperstown, Edgar Martinez. He was 11 for 19 against Mariano with three doubles and two homers. It was what I didn't do. I didn't try to do too much, I didn't try to pull the ball against him, and didn't try to overswing, Martinez told the Yes Network's Jack Curry last winter. If you missed my conversations with 2019 Hall of Fame inductees Mariano Rivera and Mike Messina, or my chat with 2020 inductee-to-be Derek Jeter, please go back and give them a listen on the archive at radio.com, wfan.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have more coverage from Cooperstown on WFAN.com as Rivera and Messina join other Yankee greats in the Hall of Fame. Until next time, thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.